0: I will echo what Chris said earlier. Good morning. Good morning. All right. At least it is for some of us. That's a joke. Okay. That's bad when you have to explain your jokes. Okay. Um, we're going to be in First Chronicles 28. I'll be preaching from the New American Standard translation and just in case you don't know where first chronicles 28 or first chronicles is it just happens to be before second chronicles again humor (laughs) work with me people obviously i better stick to the ministry side of things um i know a ton of you don't know um who i am uh Chris introduced me as the associate pastor, and I've been that since, what, last April? I had to step down because of uh, physical issues, so I've had bunches of surgeries on my back, my neck, my knee, and everything else, and when I get to heaven, I'm going to go to the Lord and claim the lemon law on this body, and God's going to tell me, I'll hush up, well, actually, he told Job just to be quiet. He said, I'm going to give you a new body anyway, so um, then I'll forget about this one. So I will be thankful, because I won't have 16 surgeries up in heaven, or anything else. So, uh, I like today's message for a couple of reasons. First of all, uh, these are words that David gave to his son Solomon, before Solomon was going to start construction on the temple. Remember, David couldn't build the temple because his hands had shed innocent blood. And so the task was passed on to Solomon. And so he's, the passage we'll read in just a moment, um, we'll, we'll hear those words. But I also like it because I'm going to be sharing an illustration with you That, uh, to me, is a bittersweet illustration of Bill Borden. So, well, he went by William Borden. But you've heard of Borden, the dairy products, right? Cheese, please. Okay. Well, he was of those. But this story goes all the way back to 1904. Okay? So... And I entitled it today, How Is Your Testimony? So that you can be thinking about how would you test your testimony? What kind of score, that type of test, would you give to yourself? Because typically, for the most part, now some things are obvious, but when it boils down to the very bottom line of reality, there are two people who know the entirety of your testimony. Now, some things do come to light in life, but ultimately, the only one who truly knows our testimony, probably even better than us, is God. I mean, he knows it. You might be able to fool me. I might be able to fool you. But there's not a single person that's ever walked or floated on the face of this earth. Just want to make sure I covered everybody. And that has been able to fool God in any capacity whatsoever. So from First Chronicles chapter 28, verse 9, here's what David had to say to Solomon. As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him, speaking of God, serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. Now listen to this part. For the Lord, well, I want you to listen to the other part too. For the Lord searches all hearts and he understands every intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Let us pray. Almighty God, precious Heavenly Father, please speak to our hearts and help us to understand the counsel that David was giving to his very own son. And if he spoke that boldly and that bluntly, to his child, let us imagine how much more these words should echo in our hearts and in our minds and through our hands. May we genuinely and even daily think about our testimony think about how our devotion to you is exemplified through our lives. Do we point people towards Jesus or do we give them an excuse to walk away? So through the guidance of your Holy Spirit who comforts us, who strengthens us, and who grants us the wisdom of how to live this life. May we bring you honor and glory to the life that you give us. For it is indeed in the precious and the most wonderful name of Jesus that we do ask and pray these things. Amen and amen. Okay. As I said to you, these are words that David's given to Solomon and to me, the two key words in there is when David is telling Solomon that he needs to serve God with a whole heart. And we would think that for someone that is a believer, someone who testifies, someone who demonstrates devotion to God, would do so wholeheartedly. But there's another saying That goes along with the word heart that's used a lot even in our day and time and it's called half-heartedly and you know Jesus tells us that we can't serve two masters that's you know half heart to one half heart to the other you either love the one and hate the other or uh, hate the one and love the other and you know a half heart is simply not enough for God I mean, think about it. Would you look, if if you had a child, or if you do have a child, do you want that child to love you with half its heart? Do you want to think that, oh, you know, if you don't have kids, can I I can hear you thinking now, boy, I hope as my child grows up, they love me with half their heart and then, you know, forget about me whenever uh, they're old enough to get out of the house and stuff. No, you wouldn't think that. They. You'd want them to love you with everything that was in them. And so that's what David is telling Solomon that he needed to do. And the issue is, are we willing to do it? That's why I say, do we need to test our testimony or we should test our testimony? Because it is indeed a reflection of our devotion to God. Are we truly devoted to God? Or are we devoted to, I was trying to think of a very profound theological, maybe even um, intellectual word to put here, but I think the word I was looking for is stuff. Do we just like our stuff more than we like our God? There are tons of people in this world that spend their entire lives, and in fact, some even expend their entire livelihoods in order to get stuff, to accumulate stuff. And if their neighbor gets something that they have, then they have to one-up them. You know, you got a basic car, all right, you get the LE model. Well, then you get the XLE model. Well, then you get the Touring model. You just got to keep going up and up and up because it's a a trial. It's a competition. And that's what it is when you bought, it. I hate to put it this way, but I hope that you understand the way, what I mean by it. But the enemy makes it a competition between our love for God and our love for the world, our love for stuff. And so he will, that's what temptation is. It's this desire to have stuff or to have something other than God, no matter what it is. It can be uh, material things. It can be, oh my, I can't even start to list all the different things it could be. It could be relationship stuff. It could be job stuff. It could be the desire for prestige. It could be the desire for power. And it could be desire for wealth. It could be the desire for anything else else. But God, that's what he uses temptation in order to do. I mean, he, he tried to take David, well, he did take David down for a while with temptation. We know the David and Bathsheba story. But we have to decide what we're going to do. You cannot straddle the fence when it comes to devotion to God. You can't keep one foot in the world, meaning the worldly stuff, and you can't keep one foot in God's heaven and God's realm and God's presence. Let me tell you, God knows. He knows if we truly love Him. You know, Jesus tells us that what the, y'all know this, the great and the foremost commandment is to love the Lord your God with part of your heart. Thank you. Now, I expect amen if I say something right, okay? But to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength, everything. I mean, he wants us to love him that way. Do you know why? Because that's how he loves us. Think about that for a second. Do you think we, I mean, it's not like God is a rock star. It's not like God is Tom Brady. It's not like God is LeBron James, who is nothing like Michael Jordan. But anyway, it's God's not any of that stuff. He's God. He created this world by merely speaking. God can sneeze more than we can accomplish in ten lifetimes. And so, if he loves us and he cares for us so much that he would send his only son, Jesus, into this world, not to live a life of luxury, not to be able to just come and go as he pleased, not to have a multitude of servants just doing everything at his bidding, but to live, I, I may be stretching this, but I'm going to take a shot at it, but to live a life that was worse than most of us will ever live. To endure things that most of us will never endure. Yet He did it for you and He did it for me. He did it. That's love, folks. That's that's the that's the God side of devotion. And how dare we do any less? But we do. We do it all the time. But thank God he is so forgiving and he is so patient. Thank God he perseveres with us because uh, I can't remember who said it, but it doesn't really matter. But it was talking about when uh, Satan was tempting Jesus. And they said, and I feel the same way, that if I would have been Jesus and Satan was trying to mess with me, there would be a little pile of dust in front of me that quickly because he had that power would destroy him. I could destroy, if I had the power of God, could have destroyed Satan at that very second. In fact, God could have destroyed Satan the very moment that he cast him out of heaven because of his arrogance and his ego making him think that he could um, overtake God. But that's another sermon for another time. My iPad has a clock on it, but fortunately I can't see it, so I don't have to worry about time. But on our devotion, our testimony, two choices. We can build it or we can break it. It's that simple. I remember uh I've been in the ministry since, in some form or fashion, since around 19... 19- How long, Laura, when we went to Temple Baptist in Blue Ridge? That was right after I graduated from college. So just about 10 years ago. (laughs) That's humor again, folks. We're going to be here all day if I have to keep explaining my jokes. I will tell you this. uh, I think I've told it before, but it's one of those that's worth repeating. There's a lady up in Louisville while I was going to seminary. And she went to the church that I pastored. Uh, her name was Mary Ruth Cook, awesome woman of God. She'd been through a lot. I mean, a lot. But she made sure her kids were in church and et cetera. But in fact, she crocheted me a, I just told somebody this story. But anyway, she crocheted me an Afghan, a queen-size Afghan. And she said she prayed for me every moment that she was crocheting it. I don't know what you call the technical little terms, but, and that was awesome. So I would go to her sometimes for advice when stuff was going on in the church. And in case you don't know, I uh, haven't actually experienced that here a whole lot, but uh, in other places, there's always something going on in church. But um, I went to her one day, and I said, Miss Cook, Why is it you think that people don't laugh at my jokes? And she looked me square in the eyes, didn't miss a beat. And she said, Brother David, you're just not funny. And so that didn't stop me. I'm still working on them. So anyway, so we build it or we break it, our devotion to God, our testimony. And the way we build it is we invest into it. And we invest into it by all the things, if you've grown up in church, you've heard it. You read your Bible, you pray, you share your faith, simple things like that. And you do it on a daily basis. It can't be a part-time venture. Serving God and building a testimony and investing into it is not going to really take place if we yield to every source of temptation that the devil puts in our way to get in our way to keep us from building it. And so I want to share to you a story of a young man who was born into privilege. When he graduated high school, he was already a millionaire, his trust fund from his family. So he was already a millionaire as a high schooler. When he graduated from high school, He got a gift from his parents to go around the world. Now, back in those days, you just didn't hop on a Learjet and go from spot to spot and zero to 30 miles and zero to 300 miles in one minute. So it took him a year. But as he traveled around, he saw so much hurt and so much pain in the world that it changed his whole direction in life. And so he wrote a home wrote a letter home that said to his parents, I'm going to give my life to prepare for the mission field. And after he wrote that letter to his parents, he opened his Bible and he wrote in the back of his Bible, no reserves. Now I'm not going to read you the whole thing because it's very long, but I want to share with you the points that I think are important uh, most important so he was on his way to Yale to go to college and like I said he was extremely wealthy but he did not want to be noted for his wealth so he went into the school just dressed like any other student wasn't driving a equivalent Maserati back in those days probably a fancy horse carriage or whatever but um he was very did not want to stand out, but he did stand out in another way, because students began to gravitate towards him. Now remember Yale and uh Harvard and those Ivy League schools that we think about now, you know those all started as uh biblical colleges. They were seminary type schools. So, uh, it wasn't the, the strongly liberal stands that they have now in the anti-Bible perspectives that they have for the most part. But the students there were mainly preparing for ministry and such. But one of his classmates noticed something unusual about him, and it wasn't his money. And this is what he wrote. Speaking of William Borden, Bill Borden. He came to college far ahead spiritually of any one of us. He had already given his heart in full surrender, wholehearted, full surrender to Christ, and had really done it. We who were his classmates learned to lean on him and to find in him a strength that was solid as a rock. And he had written in his journal a simple statement. And in that statement, he said, say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. So that was his motivation for living for Christ. And so in that time, he and a friend decided that they would um, start praying together before breakfast. Two people. By the end of that quarter, yes, there was a quarter system. They had 1,300 other students come into that. They didn't promote it. They didn't go out and seek them. But 1,300 came. That I say that not to try to impress you with Bill Borden, impress you with the power of God. Because if there's something genuine going on and like David was encouraging Solomon to serve God with his whole heart it will become ca- contagious you know sin is one of the, sin is one of the most contagious things in this world but at the same time spirituality love for the god will can be just as contagious we're just we're just afraid to take the lead we don't have to. i mean Bill Borden he was not some great called uh Charles Spurgeon or anything like he was just a millionaire of course but he didn't act like a millionaire he didn't put on airs like a millionaire or whatever he just lived his life and lived it for Christ well he went on and he graduated from Yale and he got ready to go on to the mission field even though He had tons of offers with high paying jobs, not like he needed the money. But in his Bible, he wrote two more words. The second two words were no retreats. He wasn't going to yield to the temptation that Satan put upon him. See, one of the things about getting stuff is this desire to get more stuff. And so that's what Satan was tempting, tempting him to do. Turn your back on everything that you said you were going to do for God. There are other people that can do that. There's other ministers. There's missionaries. There are evangelists. You know, they're really uh, more suited to that than you are. You need to be in the business world. Look what kind of business your family has built up. Look at all of these companies wanting you to come work for them and think about all you could accomplish. You know, you could give your money away and all that sort of stuff, but just just don't do that. Just don't do that for God serve yourself, and pursue the things that make you happy. So no retreats, none whatsoever. All right, so he's graduated from graduate school. So now he finally gets to fulfill his heart's desire. He gets to go on to the mission field, and he gets to go into the world to do what God has called him to do. He's twenty five years old. So he went to China. He sailed to China. Because he was wanting to work with of all, pe- of all people with the Muslims. So he stopped first in Egypt to study Arabic. Alright, think about the commitment he's made. He's already been through college and graduate school. Now he's going to study Arabic. And while he was there, 25 years old, he contracted spinal meningitis. God had called him to serve, and Borden was going to do everything in his life that he could to do so. But he died at 25 from spinal meningitis. But as word got around the world because he'd been in so many places and met so many people and had such an influence because of his testimony and because of his devotion to God people were in just utter grief but after those words that he had written about no reserves no retreats while he was still alive before he died obviously He wrote two more words in the back of his Bible. No regrets. At 25, talk about spiritual maturity. I mean, all that time he invested in college, all that time he invested in pouring into other people's lives during that very brief, contracted amount of time, and finally getting to do what he was going to do, studying the language to go in to Egypt to work with the Muslims, he didn't even get to take one step into the, what he considered his mission field. But when I read this story many, many, many years ago, it had an impact on me. And... He's been dead a long time since 1929. Well, no, be shorter, uh, earlier than that. So, we now have to decide about our responsibility. We know what to do. You know, if it was complicated, you know, if it was a secret or the needle in the haystack thing, or if you had to go on some kind of spiritual game show and figure out a puzzle in order to get or to gain spiritual maturity, I could see where a lot of us would bail out and say, you know, I just can't do that. I can't handle that. But God never puts more on us than we can bear. And he always puts something before us that will challenge us. The Christian life is not easy because we're in the minority in this world. Jesus said it plainly. Many are called, but few are chosen. And, you know, the gate is wide that leads unto death, but narrow is the gate that leads unto life. And at 25, when Borden died, he went through that narrow gate. And I hope and pray, and I think about this often, is that when I walk through that door, or ever how the entrance of heaven is, we've got all these different uh, things that we've imagined. One thing we're sure of, the streets are solid gold, so that's pretty cool. But um, when I get to speak to Jesus for the first time face-to-face, I get to talk to him all the time. But when I get to talk to him face-to-face, I don't know what posture I'm going to be in. I doubt I'm going to be standing I don't even know if I'll be able to kneel. Probably laying flat on my face because his holiness is going to be beyond our comprehension. And looking in his eyes is going to be unimaginable. But I, what I want to hear him say is, well done, my good and faithful servant. I want to hear him say that. And the only way that can happen is if I put the test to my testimony, if I decide to serve him with my whole heart, I'm going to fail and make mistakes, but own them. Don't just, don't do this, God, please forgive me of all my sin today. That doesn't, you know, something, I hate to put it this way, but that doesn't count for anything. I mean, we cannot throw out some broad blanket of, insurance on our daily lives and say God just please for bless all the people of the world and please forgive me of all my sin amen you know what we sin specifically we need to ask for forgiveness specifically and that's how we help build our testimony the way we break it is just to ignore it and I'm not going to try to go into it that part we know how we break it We sin. We do a confession of sin each Sunday. Let me assure you, that confession of sin is not a blanket confession for your whole week or my whole week. We say that as a church for the church. Now, we're a part of that church. But if we are sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God, then he will let us know when we sin and he will let us know lickety split. Uh, that's the Greek term for it in case you were wondering. So he'll let us know immediately and we need to be broken about it and we need to be repentant for it and ask for God's forgiveness because he says if we, if we sin, if we ask for forgiveness, he will indeed forgive us. So, may we commit each and every day of our lives and i haven't told you anything new today maybe except for the borden testimony but may we decide with all of our heart to live, live for and serve god with our whole heart and might not be original since we've heard it from borden but to say no reserves no retreats and no regrets.